You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. 21 minutes to 2 o'clock, you're on Life Happens. My name is Pimelo Modena on SAFM. So we are going to be looking at trends, flux trends. You may know flux trends. They've released, it's a, it's a, it's a futurist company. They released a study called The State We're In. And I'm joined on the line by Bronwyn Williams, who is a trend translator and foresight leader at Flux Trends. And uh, she joins us on the line. Thank you so much, Bronwyn. Um, you guys have just released uh, what you're calling the annual flux trends called The the state we're in. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. So what is the state that we're in? <laughs> well, that's quite interesting because we put that state we're in together report and presentation that was done in January, February, because yes. before the whole world went into lockdown. Isn't it COVID. interesting? Yeah. Yeah. So we were already talking about that then and we were picking up what was going on at that stage. The virus was very much still just in China. We were already seeing the differences, what was happening on the ground with regards to how governments were controlling the situation, with how surveillance was being used to control people and to control the spread of the virus and all of those things. And we picked that up as, as something that was going to going to affect the way that we deal with governance and we deal with society going forward. And it was just very astounding to us to see how quickly all of those trends just shuffed across the world, yeah. <laughs> both, the, both the virus itself and the, and the responses to it. S- scenario planners had been warning against a, a pandemic like this, you know, because every, what is it, 100 years or so, there is something. And then every couple of years, decades, there is something else. But scenario planners had been warning against something like this, or something like this is looming. It's now here. When you were forecasting this back in, you said you released this in Feb, before that, we had already seen the outbreak in China. China around December. Did you imagine that it would be such a massive global pandemic? Well, by the end of January, yes. Uh, I said Flux would definitely convinced this was going to be a global pandemic. We'd seen how it was different because you look after the signals when you work in the trends and forecasting of future space. You mm-hmm. look for those sort of red flags and those signals that things are different this time. And I think the other thing we've got to remember as populations is that pandemics are not just a once in a lifetime or a once in a hundred year sort of occurrence, not at all. In fact, there's been several severe pandemics that have happened across the world or and other cases that could have been just as severe. And what's happening over the last like over the last century, over the last couple of decades even, I mean we had SARS and MERS and those outbreaks that were not even ten years ago. We need to remember that. And the only thing that was different this time is this particular virus has a longer incubation period, which means it can obviously spread further before it can be caught and controlled. And in fact, the reason that it's spread so far is also because it might not be as deadly as some of the other ones, because that's the other thing with viruses. If viruses kill too many people too quickly, they don't populate quite so far across the planet. But that's all sort of incidental. What's important for us is if we're looking at risk from a business perspective, from a societal or individual perspective, we have to understand that as there are more and more people on the planet and as our lives are more and more connected, there are more and more of us flying across the world for business and for pleasure, and we've got more and more of these people, all these seven-odd billion of us running around this little ball that we call home, obviously the spread of disease just can go so much faster. It also means the risk of diseases coming and mutating increase, which means that we're going to actually expect the sort of pandemic disease cycles to accelerate and we should plan for more of these occurrences. We can't sort of rest and say, oh, we've had our pandemic for this generation, so it's all going to be fine now. <laughs> so, you know, I think Future has spent quite a lot of time warning about these sorts of risks. 
but I think they also tend to be ignored by corporations and by governments, or at least not addressed as much as something, say, to do with like a societal change that we see across the world would be addressed, or sure. things like poverty and inequality and climate change seem that much more immediate. But also they are that much more planable. The issue with pandemics is we can have all the planning in the world, and indeed governments and companies around the world are aware of this. They are aware of these risks. They are aware of, of what the damage could be. But there's actually rather limited things that you can do to prepare for it. Because as we saw, when we went into lockdown, the options are quite stark. You can live under lockdown and social distancing for forever and, pre- and prevent these things from happening. But that also means that you're basically trading off every other aspect of life and of commerce, sure. which, which really sort of declines the, the value of our human experience. I mean, there are a couple of things that you're touching on there, Bronwyn, which which kind of make me sigh as I'm responding to you because I, it just kind of feels like, you know, we, we, we're we not going to win this one. So the, the issues that I spoke to uh, Professor Fielding just before you also around, you know, this incubation period and asymptomatic, asymptomatic mm. people where you just don't see the disease. It's not something that you, you're able to see or detect. So that whole initially... Testing, testing, testing being the mantra from the World Health Organization um, was, I suppose, the key. But in its absence, we don't have enough tests. So we're not doing that. So that's the one thing. But yet we we kind of, I, I, I don't know, but it seems like we're not doing what you people would say would should be doing. Because so many people are walking around with the disease and not knowing that they have the disease. So in curbing the spread, we... We're not really doing what we need to be doing, are we? No, and you see, this is the challenge with these sorts of things. So we've kind of seen, if you don't want to look at how to deal with it, there's kind of two ways to deal with it. You can go the sort of top-down route, like we had in South Africa. We're going into lockdown. The government's going to tell everyone what to do, and we're all going to follow the rules. But that's not a sustainable way to deal with these problems. You can't put an entire country or the entire world into lockdown indefinitely. Mm. We don't know when there's going to be a vaccine that comes out, which is why our government has once again done the sensible thing and lifting those lockdown restrictions because we have to live, you know, while we while mm. we're dealing with a with a short term crisis. Mm. The other alternative, the way of people have dealt with it, is just that everyone just kind of do your own thing, and that also hasn't worked out so well. So we can all look at the examples across the globe where nations have not imposed any sort of restrictions and not given much in the way of guidance. And then people have made bad choices and those countries have tended to have some of the worst outbreaks and the worst outcomes from these diseases. But once again, that's not a that's there's probably a balance to be found and how we would genuinely advise these things is to look at the trade offs, to look at the, the pros and the cons of the various different approaches. And what it seems to come down to is that the nations that are able to deal with this in a more sustainable way, in that they're not relying on hardcore laws and legislations to tell people what they can and cannot do, are rather trying to instill a sense of personal responsibility in their populations that will help to defend them not just against COVID-19, but against what could become a future pandemic cycle that we're going to have to deal with multiple times over our lives. So So we're trying to instill new or normalize more responsible behavior. Um, The good example there would be Japan or, say, um, 
I think some of the Koreas have done quite well on that too. South Korea and Thailand, or Taiwan also also quite have been quite responsible in that regard. Let's let's just hone in on that, Bronwyn, because mm. as you said, the deterrent may be the trade-off, right? I mean, one would imagine that death is the ultimate trade-off. So you don't behave, you're going to die. But we've seen with HIV and AIDS that it doesn't necessarily mean that because people know that using a condom may save your life, people will automatically adopt it. People don't. We just don't mm-hmm. see that happening. And and so the death in itself is not scary. People still question things. I mean, we had a caller earlier on saying, well, you know, is this a disease only uh, killing a certain race group. So we still have other perceptions mm-hmm. that come in. Is that maybe where the energies and resources need to go in dealing with perception so that we then can take responsibility in how we respond as individuals to the virus? Yes, exactly. At the end of the day, only responsible individual behavior can extend your life. And this goes for all the different choices you make, you yes. know, whether you get into a car with a drug driver or not, or yeah. whether you how you eat and how you look after your body. Uh, what's challenging is because a lot of these decisions seem to pay off further down the line. They're not so immediate. And unfortunately, with COVID, it's because although it's a serious disease, it's not 100% deadly, like something like an Ebola would be, which, which will scare people into massively changing their behavior in and of themselves. What we really need to do is to start to encourage the normalization of responsible behavior. And once again, I'm going to go pointing point back to some of those those Asian nations, like once again, your Taiwan and your Japan, where they have normalized socially responsible behavior when it comes to illness. So in Japan, for decades now, if you have even the most minor cold, you wear a face mask to protect those around you. And because everyone else does, and because it's normalized in the society, COVID has not been so deadly in their nation, even though they never went into a formal lockdown because that socially responsible behavior was already embedded. And people understand that what's good for you is good for me because if I protect you when I'm sick, then you protect me when you're sick. And it's just like you were talking about with AIDS and and normalizing the usage of condoms. It has to be something that we're doing normally, not just to protect us against AIDS, but also to protect us against unwanted pregnancies and with all the other STDs that are coming around. I think the message we want to get across is that, you know, just because you don't feel that you have a huge threat of getting severely sick from COVID because you don't have any of the comorbidities, doesn't mean that you're going to be protected from the next global outbreak. And because our world is so connected, there are going to be more of these things. And we should use COVID as a wake-up call to re-normalize some just sensible behaviors in the world. Bronwyn Williams is my guest from Trends, Flux Trends. And we're talking about global trends. And we just honed in on COVID-19 and how all of us have to reassess our and adjust ourselves to what now presents itself as a global pandemic. The state we're in is a report that they released really recently. But, I mean, so much has changed since then. They released this around uh, February. So we're just looking at what else needs to be done so that we can adapt to this the global change in trends and where we need to go as opposed to survive the world. It's 10 minutes to 2. Pimelo Mutine on SAFM.
I'm in conversation with uh, Bronwyn Williams from Flux Trends, and we're discussing the trends they had recently released. Uh, the state we're in, it is a Flux Trends release that they annually uh, bring out, but so much has changed. This was released around February. Um, Bronwyn, thank you so much for staying with us. I'm just going to open the lines for people who want to ask you some interesting questions. 0891-104-207. So you were speaking about normalizing certain behaviors and adapting to what now, you know, our pandemics and, and other illnesses. And you gave us an example of Japan, for instance, where wearing a mask was just, you know, it was it was the common behavior, even if you had the common cold. In a scenario like South Africa, and we've seen very recently where um, Advocate Tulima Donzela said, we, we need to stop cutting and pasting. We need to also be innovative because our challenges are different. So how are we going to normalize washing hands if we don't have water? So there are things that we need to reconsider mm. and, and adapt ourselves. And what would you think those things are as, as a country? Because we've got different challenges. Absolutely. So I think the first thing to note is that you don't solve problems like this with laws and with one-size-fits-all yeah. solutions. Like I'm saying, you rather do it by setting a parameter and trying to normalize the whole fact that we are responsible for each other, we are responsible for a community. And just like any network, we are strong with all the different nodes that we have. So it's more, instead of saying, like, we need to normalize mask-wearing behavior, or we have to normalize washing hands, all of which are good things, all of which, you know, all the scientists and doctors will tell us are good ideas. But that's just the outcome of an underlying attitude that we can work on, where we are responsible for each other. And unfortunately, in South Africa, we've not been very good at this. We have a very troubled history. We have a horrible incidence of things like gender-based violence and xenophobic violence, and we have all these dark clouds hanging over us. I think they're all symptomatic of the society that doesn't look out for each other, that doesn't respect each other's lives as much as we perhaps respect our own. So that might sound quite preachy, but mm-hmm. I think that there is, there is something to that. And if we can fix that, we fix a lot of our other problems too. Mm, it's a case did. of understanding yeah. that, that, what's, that I treat you well, you'll treat me well. And it does, it does require that attitudinal change. And I don't believe that any, that any of this can really work without that, that shift. Sure. You're making such interesting points. And this is going to speak to my other, uh, your other colleague that's going to be speaking to me a little bit after, after the news today, because we're then going to move this into institutional uh, practices where, for instance, we're starting to see people report that their company. So it's not so much that there is an infrastructure, but there's irresponsible behavior because as you said, People are not looking out for one another. I don't see that you being healthy is of benefit to me. Mm. Exactly. And that, that's, a huge, that's hugely depressing. And as, as you're saying, we see this across all strata of society. We see this in gender relations and race relations and you know, international relations. We see this with employees and employers. There's this lack of trust and a lack of respect for both parties. So you kind of get into these vicious cycles where the only way to manage it is through sort of rule by law. We have to have these draconian laws that say, because you can't be responsible enough to make your own choices for each other, we have to lock you up in your home. We're going, we're going into like a strict lockdown, you know, and take all your toys away because you can't play nicely between each other. And I think that's really the challenge for individuals is that if we make better choices as individuals for our societies, 
We don't require very draconian laws. It's about the principle behind the law, not about the law itself. And if we're only following laws because the law says we can do this, we can't do that. We're pushing back at those boundaries all the time. We have really missed the point. And the point is to protect ourselves and to protect others by making smart choices. (laughs) And that's what what we need to get to. And from an employee-employer perspective, I think it's quite interesting too, because as employers have had to trust their employees to work at home, we see kind of two types of relationships. We see some organizations that have trust-based relationships where people do respect each other and people work as productively at home as they would in the office. And at the same time, the employer trusts those employees to make those good choices and manages that person on outcome rather than, say, working exactly eight to five. As long as you're getting the job done, it's all good. Other organizations without that trust and that mutual respect are falling into vicious patterns where the employee is trying to take chances and gets out of bed late, maybe doesn't like, you know, respond to emails quickly. So in response, the employer tries to install, say, surveillance software on their computers, and that breaks down the trust cycle even more. So, Bronard, so what, what, <laughs> what do we do with attitudes? Because often the, the obvious thing to assume is that we need to educate people. And that's, that's, the, that's the obvious one. But what do you do in a situation where it's not that? It's not that the people don't understand what's at stake. It's the attitude. So, very recently we heard a story about uh, a testing center, which un- obviously understands the risks, but are not themselves looking after the healthcare workers. That, for me, is, is completely completely attitudinal. It's got nothing to do with knowledge-based uh, yeah. practices. Yeah, once again, I'd say it's symptomatic of quite an unhealthy society, pardon the pun there, but you know, it, goes, it goes much deeper there. Uh, I think there, there are ways around that, and I think that you can start with, with being honest and saying that people have to understand what's in it for them in this in, in being nice to other people. You have to understand that, you know, it, it, it does pay forward. And sooner or later, you're at the other end of, of the cycle, the other end of the circle. And sooner or later, we are all in this together, even if the, the current crisis is affecting us all very differently. We do have to understand that there is a cause and effect for all of our actions. And I think with the different conversations we've had, we've got clients across various different strata, various different industries. I think it's a conversation that, that we have with employees and employers to try and fix some of these issues, the ones that are useful are the ones that point out what's in it for me, for each person. Because if people understand how they personally benefit when society is stronger, then they have an incentive to work forward to that. Mm-hmm. And I think that part of the reason why our particular society is so broken is because our incentives are badly aligned. We see that some people win when other people's when other people lose, and we see that we don't have that what we call sort of reciprocal skin in the game. Like, you know, it's a case of Mm. I win, you lose, not I win, you You win. win. Mm. And I think a lot of our relationships, a lot of our economic systems are set up with this us versus them, Them. me versus you, Mm. rather than win-win solutions going forward. And I think that that's something we've all got to work on. It's not like I can just say that's the problem, (laughs) go fix it. But it's a case of making sure that are we, through all of our relationships, whether they're familial-based relationships Mm. or corporate relationships or government versus citizen relationships, Mm. are we trying to work on win-win solutions? Are we trying to extract and extort value from our neighbors in the literal and the figurative sense? And as long as we are engaged in exploitative relationships, our society is going to be more distrustful, more you know, antagonistic, and we're going to have less success in people making good choices, not just for themselves, but for everyone else. And it's a mindset shift. 
But absolutely, South Africa as a whole can be stronger if more people are understanding that what's good for me is good for you. If the economy goes down, we all go down. Even if you're extracting more money than anyone else, you know, without any, when there's nothing on the table, then you're not winning either. And there's definitely something to be said about the sort of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. And we have to shift our thinking to that regard, whether you're a business, whether you're an individual. We tell the type clients all the time trade, any trade, between employer and employee, between customer and organization, between organization and community, has to be reciprocal. You Mm. have to be adding value to the system, not extracting value (laughs) from the system. If you are a net extractor, then you don't have a very strong competitive advantage from a purely commercial point of view Mm. because you're going to eventually run out. You're not adding anything to the pile. You're just taking it out. It's not a long-term sustainable strategy. And of Roman. course, there's goodwill too. Yeah, I mean, what a lovely conversation. Thank you so much. So, so much for us to think through. Uh, Bronwyn Williams is a trends translator at uh, Flux Trends, and she is a foresight leader as well there. And they've released a, a, a report called The State We're In, the annual Flux Trends release. Just go to the website and you'll get all that information. Thank you so much for that. Two o'clock, let's go to Nandika Pukas for the latest in SABC News.